shocking is that I still walk into dealerships that A, have no clue what OFAC is. They're like, well, what is that? B, how many actually know what OFAC is and still don't use it, still don't check, okay, mm-hmm. and, and put it into a deal jacket. Um, that's that's the next thing is that that shocks me for sure. Um, and then knowing the fine and the penalties behind that is is another crazy situation that I just I can't believe that people get by uh, by not doing it. We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that will help you make more money. This is GarageCast. Welcome to GarageCast. I'm your host, Tony Gonzalez. Top five compliance concerns going into 2020. In studio today with me, I have my guest, Steve Dodd. Steve, welcome to GarageCast. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. This is your first episode. Uh, We have probably about six to 10 more coming from you throughout the year. So I'm excited that this is going to be your first. Where do I find you in the world today? Actually, I just got home from a fantastic two-day trip to Indianapolis, working with a dealer in, in India. It was, uh, it was great, man. Weather weather was not good, but the trip was great. Yeah, weather, all the fears, crazy <laughs> oh coronavirus stuff going on. Oh, so yeah. It's a weird time to travel right now, yeah, right? It is. So you're home for a couple of days. Hey, man, let's just jump right into this. I want to get going with your top five, but... Uh, as usual with any of our first time guests, I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to everybody listening to the garage cast. There's a ton of people listening right now, know exactly who you are and have had you in their dealership many times. But for those that don't give us your quick bio, man. Well, I, uh, I grew up in Cape town, South Africa, so it makes me a, a pretty big rugby fan. You'll see, uh, on my Instagram and stuff like that. I follow a lot of rugby formula one grew up over there, rode motorcycles with my dad you know, spent weekends at the, our motocross track and um, it just really always liked two wheels. So when I got back to the States, you know, I thought I wanted to be an architect, uh, very quickly decided that wasn't really the route that I wanted to take. Those are not really terribly exciting people to work with. I had an opportunity to go work in a motorcycle dealership in Raleigh, North Carolina. I uh, was a salesman there for a couple of years and um, moved into finance. We opened a couple of dealerships. You know, had the opportunity to be a sales manager over the years, worked in multiple different dealerships. But when I moved to Denver, got to know the guys at, uh, it was RPM Group at the time. And uh, when I left the dealership, I had the opportunity to join you guys. And that's that's really where you and I met and where I met mm-hmm. uh, Sam and worked with you guys for, for a while. And, uh, you know, then we've all kind of bounced around the industry as uh, as consultants over the years as companies have bought and sold different consulting, you know, companies had the opportunity again to join you guys with garage composites. So, uh, really happy to do what I do and grateful that I have, uh, you know, people that want me to come in and help them. So it's interesting. My, my whole line of you've heard me say this, and this is true for you. It's true for dance or it's true for everybody in our team is we've all been passed around like cheap dates, man, for the past two <laughs> decades working for different companies or entities. And so I'm glad we have uh, found a home. At least I found a home and I hope you found a home as well uh, with garage composites that we can you know be set out to pasture from here. So 
Gang, what I like to say about Steve Dodd's training is he can move numbers quickly. He is precise like a scalpel. He knows exactly what he's doing. Unfortunately, with with some of the F&I topics, Steve, you know, it's not rah-rah. It's not doing backflips and cartwheels. It's not the sexiest of training. But I'll tell you, the one thing about, in my opinion, the training that we offer if there is one place in dealerships that can get you closed down tomorrow, it comes from your whole world. Would you agree with that? Very true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, a comeback in service or we might have an insurance issue. We might drop a, a bike or, or there's a lot of things that can happen in dealerships. You can truly do something in the F&I office that can get you sued and the doors are shuttered tomorrow. So mm-hmm. a lot of what Steve is going to be giving you, not only are some of his really good, super cool training tricks that he has, but he is going to be giving you a lot of information that can save you, save your six, save your tailpipe, right? So mm-hmm. let's jump into this, Steve. We have top five compliance concerns. I want to talk to you first about NPI and notifications. So what exactly is it? Talk to us. So the NPI policy is um, much like, you know, you have your red flag manual, which uh, lays out how you and your staff are supposed to deal with any possible fraud. Uh, this is a policy that details how you collect store and manage all of the customers NPI, their non-public information. What the policy is supposed to do is detail, you know, we we collect customers information through our sales staff, when they collect uh, driver's license copies, when they take information from credit applications, uh, we get information online through lead sources, and you would name those out, or uh, through credit applications. Then we take that information and we store it you know, in say the sales office or the finance office. Uh, These are the precautions we take to make sure the information doesn't get out. So detailing things like locked doors, it's a very detailed policy that states how we collect and store and manage that information so it doesn't get out. Okay. Um, So so I do have a question. I want to go a little bit deeper because we're typically, we look at red flag, we look at compliance concerns, first and foremost at the epicenter of the finance office. Mm -hmm. And then it it does trickle out into sales. Let's talk about service. Like what about information on an RO that sits in a file that can be seen by the public that's walking in? Does that count? They did just clarify anything to do with vehicle ownership is non-public. If you only have name, address, phone number, and then the vehicle the customer owns, you should be okay. So it really depends on what you're collecting as far as uh, information and service. Now, if you do give a loaner, you're going to have a test ride waiver or a loaner waiver. Um, At that point, you absolutely need to give them a privacy policy and keep that private. Okay. Yeah. I was just checking to make sure that service or, you know, you have special orders. Sometimes special orders can be clearly seen the name, the address, maybe a phone number of somebody that ordered a special set of pipes or something special for their boat or, or something like that. I just want to, I want to clarify that. So, so it sounds to me like the NPI policy is some sort of a, a flow chart combined with like some SOP, some standard operating procedures. Is that kind of it? Perfect. Yep. That's exactly it. It's a yeah, flow chart. And that's the easiest way. You, they don't dictate that that's how you have to lay it out, but that's how a lot of dealers are laying it out is, you know, a flow chart of here's how the information comes in. And then here's, you know, policies that we use to make sure the information doesn't get out. Now, I would say the biggest area of concern when it comes to the non-public personal information is the storage piece. I can't tell you how many dealerships I've walked into and uh, I've done audits. You know, I'll come in and do compliance audits and I'll say, okay, great. Let's go look at your long-term storage. I walk in and either it's just in cardboard boxes 
back in the you know service area where mm-hmm. anybody can get to it or it's stored in an area where we have you know clubs and things being held you know that kind of thing so it really um the storage piece is where there's a lot of exposure and we do uh, have case studies on several dealerships that have had stuff stolen by employees and then sold to the open market so now where would you suggest uh, obviously you'd want to keep some sort of digital file in the cloud i would imagine yes uh, cloud cloud is tough because it's uh, it can be hacked you can keep the keep some cloud information the most important thing is that your physical files are the standard is to keep everything behind two locks so what I'm talking about, the front door counts as one lock, and then like a locked file cabinet would be another one. Or um, for long-term storage, a lot of dealerships will just build like a a cage that locks behind a padlock so that they can keep their you know non-public long-term storage stuff there. But it's just making sure that at all times you're protecting not only from that information getting directly out to the public, but also your employees. Uh, just like your parts department, you know, the biggest issue we have with theft in our parts department is our employees. Unfortunately, the potential is still there for them to steal non-public information and use it also or sell it. Okay. You know, speaking of this flow chart and the standard operating procedure, do you have a, a template that dealers can use? It's funny because this is the only thing I don't have a real good template for because it's so different from dealership to dealership. You know, red flag, all that kind of stuff is pretty much standardized. I do have a workbook um, that's available through the uh, the compliance online compliance training. There's a workbook that I have, um, and I'd be happy to send out the guidelines to anybody that would like it, you know, and and uh, start building their own policy. You know, it's it's a little bit of work to do, but it's well worth it once you get it done. We've found, I mean, simple things like offices where uh, the sales manager's screen was visible from the outside of the dealership because they had mm-hmm. a window behind him. You know, so that's like a big hole. Um, just uh, what you want to do is just make sure that nobody can see what you're working on or any of the personal information from outside the dealership. Okay, great. Yeah. Steve, listen, what I typically hear in a 20 club, though, mm-hmm. when we start talking compliance or red flag rules is, you know, how many dealers have been audited? How many, you know, have gone out of business? And I and I say, hey, listen, if I know one, that's all that matters. So beyond having this in case of an audit, is there any real value to having an NPI policy, double locks, that kind of thing? I mean, there are people that had information get out. I will tell you, as far as audits, at the in the last round of 20 clubs in the fall, I actually went around and asked each group, you know, if they'd had any audits. Uh, there were seven dealerships that said, yes, they had been audited. Out um, of how many dealers? God, I probably went to five or six 20 clubs. Yeah. So, so it was that, one in every room. Yeah, that's crazy. Least. We have a total at Garage Composites. We have a total of 21 20 clubs in the motorcycle, marine, and bicycle space. Okay. I mean, seven out of 21, we could say effectively that 33% of, of, of the groups have had somebody that was audited, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's crazy to me. In and of itself, that, that seems like it would make sense to want to follow something like that. Okay. That's really good stuff. So on your list today is, is file retention. You know, why do you have that on there? The issue is that, um, especially with your dead deals, and this is where dealers get caught out, everybody pretty much knows your sold deals you keep for seven to 10 years, okay. um, depending on your state. The uh, the, de- the dead deals, basically the deals that you don't sell the bike, those actually need to be kept for 25 months. 
So you should have a rolling file uh, keeping that stuff for 25 months. And here's the issue. Let's say somebody comes back in six months and says, hey, I didn't give you permission to use my credit, to pull mm -hmm. my credit, to submit it for financing. You can actually be sued and they'll win all day long. Uh, I know a dealer actually that paid half a million dollars settled it out of court for a half million dollars, I should say. So who knows what the lawsuit would have been. And what it came down to was they didn't have the customer's signature to prove the customer gave them permission to use their credit. So with, with credit applications in particular, the customer can come back to you for up to 12 months from the time they give you the credit application and challenge that credit application. Now, if they had had the credit application, had it been fraud, so had this been a legitimate fraud case, then the dealership would have basically showed the customer, here's the signature we got, and that customer would have gone after the person that committed fraud, not after the dealership. And yeah, and what I, what I always like to tell our dealers is, it is not necessarily the job of the person suing you to prove the point. It's the job of the business or the dealership to defend themselves. It's crazy yeah. how it works, but you always have to be in a frame of mind that, you know, we, we know our clients are upstanding people that work really hard and do business the right way. They are consistently having to defend themselves against people that just want to come up and, and frivolously sue them. So um, talk to me about adverse action notices and file retention, that kind of thing. Um, adverse action notice. So if you're talking about uh, dead deals in particular, so you as a dealership, basically when you, um, when somebody submits an application to you, you are, uh, basically the bank at that point. So you are supposed to send out an adverse action notice to anyone who submits an application. And then either because of the credit that you offered them does not decide to buy, or they get turned down or stipulated in some way that they can't, you know, they can't buy. Uh, you are actually supposed to send out an adverse action notice. And usually I'll talk about the file retention and the adverse action notice together because that's that adverse action notice makes it so you really have to keep those 24 months and that file should be everything that's included in that dead deal. And that's it's funny because that law changed and a lot of dealerships don't realize that. It used to be the, just the banks had to send these out, but now because of the definition of what is a bank, the dealerships have to participate in that too. Interesting. So I got to imagine... I think I know the answer to this question, but I want to make sure, you know, there's, there's a ton of dealers that they tell me they cover their six by, by shredding all their dead deals. What's the problem there? I, I got to imagine it's about the same it's thing, right? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody gets hurt on a test ride and they want to come back and sue you and you don't have a test ride waiver, you know, it makes it easier. They challenge you on, like I said, the credit application. Yeah. You can't shred that stuff. And that's usually what I'll hear is, oh, we just keep it in a box and then we shred it periodically. Okay, that's that's a big problem. The thing about any of this stuff is it's it's not a problem till it is a problem, right? Right. You can do business for years and go, well, I've never had an issue with that, and um, maybe you won't. But there are dealerships out there all the time that do. What I've taken away from this is that you have to keep all of your files from dead deals for a you you can shred them at the twenty sixth month, correct? Correct. Okay. That was number three. So that's file retention. Make sure you keep a hold of your dead files 
or people that have turned us down or any of those types of situations, you have to keep those for 25 months on the 26 months. You can shred those. So number four, Steve is OFAC. And, and just in saying OFAC, I'm sure there's a lot of dealers out there that have no clue what that stands for. Talk to me about OFAC. OFAC basically is the, it stands for the office of foreign asset controls. Okay. Um, and actually technically it's the office of foreign asset controls, specially designated nationals list. Yeah, I love the way we name stuff. So um, the the list is it's basically a um, this huge, expansive collection of all of the people, countries, governments, businesses that as Americans, we cannot do business with. We think of, you know, terrorism, terrorist organizations are on there, but it's also cartel members. It's um, Russian governments that there are sanctions against or Chinese governments there are sanctions against. Whenever you see that sanctions are being placed against X company or person, that's who's going on that list. Is there a threshold in number? Uh, you know, a lot of dealers get confused and they ask, well, isn't that only at $10,000 I have to check or at $999 I'm good to go? Like, it, it, does it have anything to do with that? No, not at all. OFAC is, the recommendation is that you check every single major unit. So you run any customer that's purchasing a major unit from you through this list and just make sure that they're not on the list. If they're not on the list, then you can sell the bike. If they are on the list, what usually happens is you, there's a free, a free check that you can do on the OFAC website. I'm happy. What's to- that web? What, what is that website? It's the actually the Office of Foreign Asset Controls website. So okay. it's on uh, OFAC.gov. And then you just have to look for the search you know, page on there. But you can search it through there. A lot of people are using 700 credit or they're using you know whoever they pull credit through to, to check that also. What it is, is if, if you check that list, you are going to get a lot more hits than you'll get like, like false hits, basically, than you'll get real hits. So what you d- would do is... Uh, Information would come up. It would say, you know, possible hit. Um, here's the address, the phone number, place of birth, any other notes we have on this person that's on the list. And you basically compare what you have to what pulled up on the OFAC list. If you really think that you have a hit, there is an 800 number you can call to get assistance. And if they tell you that you you probably have that person in your office, then don't sell the bike. That's, that's okay. the best advice because they don't play around. If you knowingly sell to someone on the list, it's a $5 million fine and 30 years in prison. Not up to, yeah, not up to, not either or. That's what the fine, uh, that's what the penalty is. So it's, yeah, you just don't sell to anybody on the list. Okay, so I have a couple of questions that I want to clarify. So first and foremost is, to be sure, you said that it's on all major units. So we don't need to worry about this in parts and accessories. We don't need to worry about this in service. It's just on major unit sales. Technically, letter of the law, you're supposed to check every purchase. You know, if somebody goes into McDonald's and gives them a $5 bill and wants some nuggets, they're supposed to get two IDs and go check the list. Good God. That's ridiculous, right? So um the way we see dealers using this is anything that seems suspicious, especially in parts, um, but also in service. So um, there's a dealer I know that got in trouble for shipping 50 GoPros over to Russia. That go. might have been suspicious and probably was a good would have been a good idea to check. So, you know, anything suspicious in parts, anything suspicious in service, definitely every major unit, because all that stuff is trackable back to you. And you don't want to you know, run foul of OFAC. 
One last question that I have for you on OFAC, Steve, is a lot of dealers think that the Office of Foreign Asset Control started after 9-11. Give me the history behind it, really. Okay. Um, it, it started back uh, 80s and 90s. They started compiling this list. They really, it was there and dealers were supposed to check it. Banks were supposed to check it, but nobody was really doing anything with the list. Basically, when 9-11 happened, they realized that the people that were involved with 9-11 had used our banks to fund their activities and use that against our country. So um, that was part of what they passed with the Patriot Act is the requirement that you check, you know, they, they put some teeth in there uh, on the OFAC, some ID requirements, some stuff like that. That's where the two IDs comes in uh, is also through the Patriot Act. Shocking is that I still walk into dealerships that A, have no clue what OFAC is. They're like, well, what is that? B, how many actually know what OFAC is and still don't use it, still don't check, okay, mm-hmm. and, and put it into a deal jacket. Um, that's that's the next thing is that that shocks me for sure. Um, and then knowing the fine and the penalties behind that is, is another crazy situation that I just, I can't believe that people get by. Uh, by not doing it. Now, the final question I have before we move on from OFAC is this, Steve, is I want to make sure that the people know that, you know, we encourage dealerships to check on the uh, Office of Foreign Asset Control. What about 700 credit? Or let's say they use a, I'm just throwing out their local bank or their credit union assures them, hey, listen, we OFAC for you. Good enough? You're probably okay. But if I'm the one signing the contract, probably okay when it's a fine of $5 million and 30 years in prison is not really good enough. Um, it's quick to check. You're better off just to go ahead and check it yourself. Okay. You know, with finance deals, you're probably okay with cash deals. You definitely got to check it. And that's a big loophole, big area where dealers um, get caught out. They, you know, assume it's just for finance deals. It's for, it's for both cash and finance deals. Okay. So number four was OFAC. Number five, let's talk about MLA. What does MLA even mean, dude? Um, That's the Military Lending Act. So um, actually, I have some really good news on that now. Uh, When I made this list, I had put that on there because there were a lot of dealers still selling GAP to the military and the the Military Lending Act and the DOD had come out and said that you couldn't do that. Well, last Thursday, the DOD came out and they reversed their statement on selling GAP to the military. So actually, that's real quick. If you don't know already, you can sell GAP to the military. It's been decided. It's go for it. So if you stopped, start again. It's the right thing to do. Take care of our service members, you know? Okay. So first things first, I want you to define what GAP means to people out there that may not know what it is. Ah, okay. Guaranteed asset protection. So it's- Okay. Your, uh, and what does GAP do? GAP basically- um, if, if I have a vehicle, I buy a new vehicle and I drive it off the lot and, uh, I, it gets totaled for some reason it gets stolen, um, you know, accident, fire, theft, flood, for whatever reason, my insurance company says, uh, we are not going to fix it. We're just going to write you a check. What they write you a check for is the value of the vehicle, not what you owe on the loan. So you can end up in a situation where you owe, you know, three, four, five thousand $5,000, to the bank and the vehicle doesn't exist anymore. So they just want their money. Gap basically fills in that. And it's kind of funny. They call it gap, but that fills in the gap. So gotcha. it would pay that three, four or $5,000 for you. And the problem is that the military for the last year and a half, haven't been able to buy this gap insurance. So we have military members out there who totaled vehicles 
and had to come up with that money. And because the DOD had said, we shouldn't be selling it to them. And was there a reason that we weren't selling it to them? What, what was the purpose? Technically, the, the MLA says, the Military Lending Act says that you cannot sell uh, credit insurance to the military. And um, what happened is the DOD made their statement that dealers were selling credit insurance and they shouldn't be you know, selling it to the military. And they listed GAAP as credit insurance. And it went through the court system and the courts agreed that it is credit insurance. So therefore, you know, the statement stood for, it was about 18 months um, okay. that we've been dealing with this until they finally said, you know what, it's really the right thing to do to let them get gap coverage if they want it. So what I'm hearing is, is that uh, number five, the Military Lending Act is we can now sell guaranteed asset protection or gap to our military members. And it's a really good product and it's a good thing for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So this is all really good stuff, Steve, all concerning compliance issues. Where can people find more information on compliance? You can go to wheelhouse.college. That's where the online compliance training is located for garage composites. It's well worth a look. You can go take a test ride. If you have any questions, you can always contact me. I'd be happy to walk you through it, but it's a an online portal that's going to allow you to have all the information you need so that your compliance manager can get up and trained and protect your dealership. They get a hold of you by contacting you at steve at garagecomposites.com, correct? Correct. Steve Dodds, it was great having you on our episode, Top 5 Compliance Concerns Going Into 2020. This is Tony Gonzalez. You can find more information about Garage Composites at www.garagecomposites.com. You can also listen to this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or you can go right to Buzzsprout or our website and listen to this directly. The best thing that you can do, folks, owners, F&I managers, sales managers, is push this information out to your people. We're just trying to spread the word. And gang, we sure would love it if you would give us a five-star review. This is Tony Gonzalez signing out. Have a great Tuesday.